0: Are you enjoying the Christmas season? All right, hopefully you're getting ready. Christmas is coming fast, and it's just a great time of year. Of course, we're looking forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior. Uh, A lot of us, you know, get a little time off, and it's just great to to interact with family. Families gather together. We get to watch football, I mean, all the, the bowl season and all that, and college football playoffs next week, next weekend as well, and Um, I don't know if you follow the NFL, but some of you still do. One of those is Forrest, and he has a favorite team. Do you know what that is? The Colts. The Colts, yeah. He loves the Colts, and they actually hit the record books this weekend. And they were 33 points ahead and then lost the game. (laughs) So that that was the biggest lead margin that anybody, biggest upset ever Biggest lead ever blown in the NFL, the history books. So congratulate Forrest when you see him, that his team made the history books. That could stand forever. I mean, that may never be broken. So uh, let him know that you appreciate the Colts. That's all, that's all good. And this is the time of year I'm on the familiar quest. I've been doing this for several years. Is I When I go to stores, I look at their wrapping paper, and I'm always trying to find just one roll of wrapping paper that has anything to do with the original reason for Christmas. And I'm telling you, after checking hundreds of rolls of wrapping paper, I've never found one that has anything to do with Jesus, Bethlehem, the manger, the star, the wise men. I mean, it's just not out there. So if you have a source that I don't know of, let me know. I finally this year actually ordered some wrapping paper online that I found. And I think that was, at, I can't even remember where I got it exactly. I think it was a, a Christian place like Lifeway or somewhere. And they only had two types of, of wrapping paper. That anything to do. That just drives me nuts. It's not good to be driven nuts at Christmas time. I know that's not a good thing. And probably a lot of you didn't even notice that. It just kind of gets me. So every year I'm looking at that. And, and I just, how could this even be? It's just, well, our world is just darkened when it comes to the real meaning of Christmas. I mean, that's that's really what it is. We're talking about the light has come. And, and last week, we started with the need for light. And we actually talked about the very beginning of the Bible. And, and really, what, what I want to drive home today is that The Bible is not a collection of random stories, it's really the story of God and his interaction with humanity. We talked about last week how God created the universe, created Adam and Eve, humanity. God created. It didn't just happen. I mean, how many of you, like me, learned in school that, well, this molecule, this atom collided with this one, and this happened, and that, that just doesn't happen. We've split the atom, we, we, and, and the result of that was nuclear fission. There's no universes coming from that. That does not happen. That is all wrong. And then some people say, well, it's always existed. Wrong again. Science tells us it's expanding reverse it. They had to have a point of beginning. So what? God created. We can rearrange things. God creates. And don't get me started on life. I almost went down that rabbit hole, you know, that rabbit trail, I should say, last weekend. We can't create life. God creates. And so we have this delusion on our world that's just fake news. It's not true. It's just the, the most plausible, completely rational, naturalistic explanation that, that people could come up from. But it doesn't fit the evidence. And so we have this story about how God created the universe and everything in it. He created Adam and Eve. He not only gave them life, but he gave them the ability to love him back. Because he's a God of love. But we talked about how even though he gave us this ability to love him back, we used that freedom of choice. We misused it. And we, we rebelled against God. Adam and Eve did that in the garden. That's called the fall. And that brought sin into the world. And once that sin came into the world from Adam and Eve, we've all been infected. We've all been Impacted. And so that sin brought spiritual darkness, and we've all inherited this sin nature. And and then we have to come with to grips with the fact that there's not just darkness in our world, it's not just darkness out there. But because we've inherited a sin nature, we find the darkness inside of us. We find things like pride and jealousy, and greed, and strife, and selfishness that's inside of our own hearts. And the world is a dark place because of all that. And and we, we start off as human beings broken and separated from God. Sin, which we've inherited, has broken our relationship with our Creator, it 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 breaks our relationships with each other it's broken our world we talked about that it's broken our bodies you know where we have to now we do all these things to try to repair and manage our bodies that as we get older we we age and we die so we take vitamins and medicines and supplements we go to the gym we work out we do this we do that we blow up balloons with one nostril we do whatever it'll take To try to repair what's happening to our bodies. Because everything's been infected by sin. And so people ask, we talked about this last time, why would God create a world where people could sin? Because he wanted to create free people in his image that could love him back. The problem is that love has to be voluntary. You can't force love. If you force it, it's not real love. And, and to have voluntary love, you have to have a choice. And with that choice, we've all sometimes chosen sinful things with our freedom to choose. So what's wrong with the world? It's, it's sin, but it's, it's you and me. And so the rest of the Bible, that, that's just... Genesis 1, 2, 3. I mean, the rest of the Bible tells us how uh, it's the epic story of God's love for us and his pursuit of us to win us back from the effects and the consequences of sin. And so we have this promise of light. This promise of light. And we see it right when sin entered the world. The promise of light began as a result of sin. Immediately after sin entered the world, which is in Genesis 3, the third chapter of the Bible, immediately then is this first glimmer of light in the future. And if you'll remember, we talked about it last time God held Adam accountable. And he held Eve accountable, but he also held Satan accountable and cursed him. Here's what it says in Genesis 14 and 15. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And then God continues in the next verse, speaking to Satan this curse. And here's the promise of light. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And speaking of those seeds, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so often we read right through this, but this is the first sign, the first hint, the first glimmer of Christmas is right here in Genesis 3.15. As a matter of fact, Scholars have a, a word for this. It's the Proto-Evangelion, which just means first gospel. It's the first time in the Bible that there's this, this good news, this glimmer of hope, this glimmer of light that shows up. And it's kind of interesting that if you look at it, because what God's saying is the the offspring, an offspring of the woman will triumph over Satan. And And the way it's said is her seed, which is really strange because in Hebrew and Greek and just like in English, we don't say her seed, we say his seed. Because seed, when you're talking about people and procreation, seed always refers to something from the man. But here, it's the seed of the woman. And again, that's another, it's another light flash there, it's another... A point where we can, oh, because what's going on is Jesus is the uniquely the only person in history who could be described as seed of the woman because he's the only person who didn't have a human father after Adam and Eve. Her seed uniquely pointing to Jesus because Jesus was born of a virgin. Her betrothed fiancé, Joseph, had nothing to do with the conception of Jesus. And so sin brought darkness and it infected all of humanity from that day forward. It, It infected Adam and Eve's family. Their first two sons, Cain and Abel. What happens? Cain kills Abel. Sin infects the world And as the population grows, so does sin, and the world gets darker. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 6, a few chapters later, God says this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and was grieved in his heart. And that all leads up to God then bringing a worldwide flood to white people out to give them the judgment that they deserve as they all rejected God except for one family, Noah and his family. And they are saved through the ark, and then they repopulate the earth, and then what happens? Sin again, darkness takes over the earth, To the point where people even gather together to unite in their rebellion against God. It's that dark. Let's all get together so we can rebel against God. And because of that, God separated the peoples of the earth. He scatters them. And so basically, Genesis 1 through Genesis 11, it's perfection, then sin or the fall, then darkness... Then judgment. And we see this sin and judgment, sin and judgment cycle repeating over and over. And then at one point, the light is now promised not just to come in general, not just to be some part of humanity, but a family from a family specifically, one family. And the world's dark, so God focuses on one man. His name is Abraham, and he calls him. And he asked him to get up and leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go to a new land called Canaan. And basically, God says through his lineage, light and salvation, salvation from judgment is what I'm talking about, will come. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 12, 3 in part says, And in you, all the families, talking Abraham, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we keep seeing this promise of light and all the gaps start getting filled in more and more. We keep getting more and more information through the Old Testament, more and more details about that light. Remember, recently we've talked about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and he had 12 sons. And the story of Joseph and then how Jacob and his family moved to Egypt where Joseph sort of arranged for them to be taken care of. But all that went bad You know, but before that happened, before Jacob died, he gave a blessing to his sons. And what's interesting about that is when he blessed his sons, there was this, where this line would go through. It wasn't through his favorite son, Joseph, or his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. It was through another son named Judah. Here's what he says in Genesis 49.10. As he blesses Judah, Jacob says this, and he's saying, hey, that line of Abraham is now going to be the line of Judah. He says to Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. That's actually a reference to the Messiah. And to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. So he's saying scepter, that's authority, that's kingship, shall not depart, he's saying Never going to leave the family of Jacob. It's going to be forever in the family of Jacob. And we see that that's true. And then after these people were then enslaved in Egypt, and then they were led out by Moses, he received the law. They wandered for 40 years because they rebelled against God again. Finally, through Joshua, they entered the land And then they enter this time where they keep rebelling, turning from God, rebelling from him, bad things would happen, then finally they'd wake up and cry out to God for deliverance and he would send a deliverer and we call that the period of the judges and that just kept, that cycle kept happening over and over and over and over for hundreds of years and then finally the people cried out for a king, we need a king like other nations and God gave them Saul and Saul rejected God's leadership and And so then God raised up David from the line of Judah. And he became Israel's greatest king. But that didn't last long. I mean, things were relatively good. He was a man of war, and he established their boundaries and everything the way it should be. But then his son Solomon took over. He had incredible wisdom. But after Solomon, the kingdom divided And then Israel became the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah, split apart. And again, the people kept drifting from God all through the age of the kings, drifting from God. And once in a while, especially in Judah once in a while, a godly king would arise and sort of turn people's hearts back to God. But it wouldn't be long for they'd be drifting back again. During Isaiah's time, toward the end of the secession of kings, there's one king named Ahaz, and we we happen to know a lot about him, but just think how far they come. This is in Judah, king of Judah, Ahaz. During his reign, he rejected God flat out. He worshiped false gods. He closed the temple of God in Jerusalem, sealed it up. He built shrines to false gods, all over, all over Judah, he burned his children, his own children, alive as a sacrifice to a false god. That's how dark it got, dark stuff. And the northern kingdom was even darker than that. And so God said judgment was going to come. And that judgment came in the form of the Assyrians. He said, nations will come and conquer you. That's the judgment. And sure enough, Assyria came in and conquered the northern kingdom, Israel. Later, Babylon came in and conquered Judah. In the middle of all that, here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 5. And this applies to us today. Isaiah 520, check it out, because Isaiah could be telling us this. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who substitute darkness for light, and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. This is what Isaiah's saying why the people of Israel and Judah are completely rebelling against God. And the same thing is happening here in our world today. And while Ahaz is doing unspeakable things, God kept promising through different prophets, the most prolific of which is Isaiah. And here's what Isaiah says in chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's saying the light's still coming. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And so the prophets keep pointing to the light. They keep saying there's a promise of light. Hold on to God's promise of light. Stay with God. A couple chapters later, Isaiah says in 9-2, the, and this is kind of a, a Christmas passage from the Old Testament, just like seven fourteen. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And so we, we get, hey, that's all pointing forward to the Messiah. What's even more interesting, if you want to get into the details of how people were living in the Old Testament, is there's a context to this verse. That's a pretty well-known verse. What almost nobody knows is the verse right before it, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what that says. But there will be no more gloom, darkness, there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish, in earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles. We don't hear that much. And so let me just take a little deep dive with you, all right? A little deeper, just real quick, just a little time out. So God keeps promising light. And here's the southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdoms, Israel. And the northern tribes in the northern kingdom are Zebulun, And Naphtali, they're the northernmost lands in the northern kingdom. And basically he says, hey, judgment is coming from Assyria. And it's Zebulun and Naphtali that are going to see that judgment first. Because the Assyrians are coming down from the north. And that's exactly what happens. And because that happens there first, their areas get filled with Gentiles. A lot of non-Jewish people live in those areas from then on. And so, but he's also saying... The two areas that experienced judgment first, the gloom, you know, they will also experience glory first, the light. And the way that happened is after Jesus was born, when he started his public ministry and John the Baptist got killed and things got dicey, he moved up into that area, Galilee, and he made that his headquarters. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in the New Testament that explains all this. It's Matthew chapter 4. So I'll just read that and then I'll get off of it. Are you with me? Yes. Some of you are with me. All right, here we go. Matthew 4.12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum. Which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun. And Naphtali, same two tribes. This was to fulfill what was spoken to Isaiah the prophet. And then he starts mentioning what Isaiah said in chapter 9. Quote, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Next verse, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the, the area that received the judgment first was also the same area that someday in the future would see the light of God. God's message through Christ first. That's exactly what happened. So back to Isaiah's time. The question was always, well, how is the light going to shine on us? How is the promise going to be fulfilled? How is this going to play out? Isaiah continues in chapter 9, a verse we well know. Verse 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given us, and government will rest on his shoulders. And again and again, we see the prophets all through the Old Testament pointing, 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 promising, telling us God has promised the light has come. And they give us more and more details. All these do. It's just Isaiah is the most prolific. Later in Isaiah, and Isaiah 53, the whole chapter is about the Messiah. Here's just a couple verses, three verses, I guess. It says, Surely our griefs, this is written 700 years before Christ. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Like all, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The light is coming. The answer is coming. Salvation is coming, he's saying. The prophet Micah said where? I mean, all, these, all this information keeps filling in gaps. Micah 5.2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. For you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 700 years later, what? Jesus is born. And then we remember the story where this comes into play because then wise men from the East, who have had access to the prophets since the exile in Babylon, they come from the East looking for the one who is born king of the Jews. And they show up in Jerusalem and they ask Herod, Where's the king? Where's he born at? And they're like, What you talking about? The king of the Jews. And so Herod has to ask, and the scholars go back to that passage in Micah and say, oh, that's that's supposed to happen in Bethlehem, just right outside the walls of Jerusalem here. The promise of light. God kept telling us. And so the big question for us is, all right, if we understand God created and we understand that he gave us freedom to worship him. And in order to do that, he had to give us choice. And in order to give us real choice, we had to be able to choose the wrong thing, which we did. But God knows us, knows our sin, and still loves us. So the, the Bible is just a record from many authors, one story about God's pursuit. To win sinful human beings back from the consequences of their sin and back into relationship with Him. So, well, how how does that apply? How does all that information apply to us today? Well, one thing I think is it reminds us that sometimes we have to wait on God. Think about the Jewish people, they waited for God. For thousands of years, a couple thousand years, they were waiting for God. All these things are happening, all this bad stuff. God, where are you? What's going on? We're being conquered. We're we're crying out. God, where are you? And at the end of the prophets, there was 400 years of silence. Even though the prophet Daniel told them that they could start counting down those years and know when he was going to show up, 483 years after the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem when the exile was over. But it was just a where, 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 when, when, when. And people had to wait, wait, wait. It's the same way with us today on the second coming. See, the first coming of Christ was all about salvation. The second coming of Christ is all about judgment. But it's the same thing. We wonder, wow, it's been, Jesus said he was coming back. It's been 2,000 years. When's he coming back? Well, he's coming. But when he comes, it's going to be the light of judgment. Not the light of salvation. And so the first thing we learn is we need to learn how to wait on God and not give up, not lose our hope, not lose our confidence, not hedge our bets, not have a plan B. Put all our trust in God. And I know who hates to wait? Who hates lines? You know, when I see a line, I'm just like, I am out of here. I mean, if there's a line, I just head the other way. I was shopping with Pam, I think it was last week, and we were in Kohl's. And Pam, you know, I was just with her. She's just killing it on the Christmas shopping. She had one thing to bring back, and I think she's buying like two, two or three things. And I'm looking at this line. The line stretched across the entire store. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. We're not going to wait in this line. No way. Then Pam says, "Well, first I got to go take this package. This I got to return something." So she goes and she returns something. And after they and she just walks right up to the counter and returns it. And after they're done, they say, "Is there anything else I can help you with?" And she said, "Well, no, unless I could check out here." And they said, "Yeah, you could check out here." And they checked her out. She waited zero. There's a whole store of people in line that stretches across the whole store and she walks up to a counter, returns something, and checks out. That's why I married Pam. <laughs> she is smart. She knows how to do it. She knows the system. She's a world-class shopper. I mean, it's just amazing. Anyway, so we need to learn how to wait. And sometimes people are waiting. You know, God, where are you? I'm hurting. Or I'm waiting for that person. We have at least one couple in our church. They're waiting for a baby. They're already, they're just waiting. or, or, Or it's a health thing, or just whatever it is. We wait, we wait. Trust God, right? Just trust God. And then the second thing is we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to impact the people around us. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, the light, now, the light has come. Next service, Thursday, Friday, services on Saturday, we're talking about the light has come, and we're doing that out of 1 John. The Gospel of John, who introduces us to the light in a unique way from the other Gospels. But, But we recognize that, hey, We should be pointing people to light. We should be introducing people to light. And this week, as we gather with family, which is going to happen to to most of us, as we celebrate with co-workers, as we enjoy the Christmas season, this is an incredible opportunity for us to share the light. The light has come. Let Your light shine in the darkness, the light you've received from Jesus, let it shine out to the people around us. There's a lot of ways to do that. You know, talk to people in your family. You know, pray at a meal as your family gathers together, reminding them of the true meaning of Christmas. You know, bring it up. Invite people, you know, to grace. We'll we'll be talking about that. We have these cards. We have invite cards, and then we have you've-been-gifted cards. Here, I I, I just want to share one story from a you've-been-gifted card, all right? This is where somebody gave somebody they didn't know kind of a random gift and handed them a card. Here's that person getting back with us. I got to share a story um, that happened over the weekend. I was in Meyer in Sandusky with my three young children. We were there to purchase cupcakes to celebrate the third heavenly birthday of my son that I miscarried. Long story short, I had an issue at the checkout with my credit card. I was super embarrassed and feeling very overwhelmed in that moment. I felt terrible for holding up the line of people behind me. But the very kind couple behind me in line offered so much grace to me in that moment and assured that it's okay that those types of things happen. She handed me the You've Been Gifted card with $5 to cover the cost of the cupcakes. She's checking out, it's just 5 bucks. I just wanted to share that this might have seemed like a small gesture from this couple, but it meant the world to me. I couldn't contain my emotions and started crying right there in the grocery store. I just wanted to say thank you for raising a church family that shows the love and compassion that I received at night. Whatever it takes, just simple ways for us to share the light to make the world around us a less darker place. God has come for us, wants a relationship with us, made a way for us. The light has come. And that's what we'll be talking about this week. So as Mike said, no, and Jess, maybe no services on Wednesday. We have a Christmas celebration on Thursday, a big Christmas service also on Friday, two big Christmas celebrations at 3 and 4.30 on Saturday, Thursday and Friday, they're at seven o'clock in the evening. And invite your friends, your family, your coworkers to those things so that they can more appreciate the light. Then there's Sunday morning. Sunday morning is not one of those big Christmas services. Sunday morning's more family service. All three campuses, they're coming here. We didn't want to ask any of our people to serve on Christmas Day. People have families, you know, traditions. And so we decided as a staff that we would do all the serving. You ought to come just to see if that even works. So we're going to try that. We're going to serve on Sunday morning and try to pull that off. Of course, the first thing we did is said, no child care. Boom. All right, so we lopped that right off. So no child care. It's a trimmed down service. All of our music guys that work different campus will be on one platform and we'll just have a great time together. One service next Sunday morning. But that's not the one you probably should invite people to. It's the other four. Thursday, Friday, two on Saturday. Invite people to those. Let's stand together and pray. Father God, thank you for loving us. God, it's amazing that you know everything, and you know everything about us. You know us, and you love us, and you've provided a way that we sinners could be reconciled to a righteous and holy God because the light has come in your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for that greatest gift, and help us to share that with others around us like you've commanded us to do. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.